This week's story is interesting to say the least. It involves a cult, a snake bite, and a lawyer's determination to expose the truth. We are your hosts, Sherry Ferreira and Helen Allen. This is The Chalk Line. Good evening, everyone, and the highlights of the news this Thursday. Okay, I'm just going to hop right into it. It's crazy. I hate that every episode. I'm like, it's so crazy. But like, I really loved this um, Oxygen episode that I watched. It's like their Deadly Cults spinoff. Okay. And it's it's so interesting. I mean, here's the thing, though. Like, I think I kind of touched on this last episode. We do say every episode is crazy, but that's why we pick them. We wouldn't deliver anything boring. You know what I mean? So it's like, it is valid every time you say it. Truly, I went through every episode that they had in Deadly Cults because I really wanted to touch on a cult, but not one that was so popularized and already redone. And this one was just so interesting to me. Everything about when it. When I do, I do have to back that and say that, what if we've been doing this for like a year and a half now? And every week you're like, I'm going to do a cult episode. Yeah! <laughs> you haven't yet. So I'm, I'm finally. Yeah. It's been a long time coming. we're here. Right. So let's get started. In 1958, Charles E. Dietrich founded a rehabilitation center for people who are addicted to drugs and alcohol. He bought a facility in Santa Monica. It was right by the beach and in the heart of LA. So it was perfect. What year was this again? 1958 is when the place was founded. Okay. And the place in question is called Synanon. Sin coming from, like, meaning togetherness and coming together and anon from the unknown. Really, you know, spooky there, Dietrich, but whatever. Um, (laughs) Right off the bat, he started treating people and Synanon became very successful. By 1978, it was really at its height and seemed to be doing a lot of good for people. Of course, it all comes to a halt when something exposes it, something big happens, and that is a report by Narda Zacchino. She's a reporter for the LA Times, and this is actually the first story she ever did about Synanon. So it was, like, wild. So it's the first story she ever did about Synanon, or it's her first story? First story she ever did about Synanon, like the first... Oh, gotcha. Because I was like, damn, this was her first story and we're talking about it now 50, 70 years later? Oh, how I still I think it's 2000. Right. It's disgusting. But, <laughs> no, I um... have no concept of time either. It's just in one year out the other. I don't know. Um, But yeah. no, it was crazy because this is the first story that's painting Synanon in a not-so-good light. Okay, so this is like groundbreaking. Yes. The report detailed an incident that happened on June 6, 1977. Oh, I'm so sorry, you guys. That was my Apple Watch. Sorry not to flex my richness. I know. What do we get at your rich? Sorry, poor. Can't afford that sound. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I love you no, guys so much. Uh, actually, Sherry, just, just seconds before we started recording, my watch made a sound and you acted like my house was burning down. Because right. you had never oh heard the sound. So, I don't want to hear it. <laughs> <laughs> guys, I am a fellow poor. Do not worry. I am a fellow poor. Yeah, Um, we're all too. (laughs) This report is about a woman named Frances Wynn. She's 25 years old and living with her husband, Ed. 
Now, Francis has a history of severe depression and psychosis, so on this particular day, Ed noticed that she appeared to be on the verge of another episode. So he planned to take her to a treatment center after he got home from work, but before leaving, he told her to go to the Venice Family Clinic for a tranquilizer to help calm her nerves. Oh god, a tranquilizer sounds I so know. dramatic. I was like, you <laughs> really need a tranquilizer, but I... Whatever gets you through. I kind of do, though, this... so, you know. I wish someone would <laughs> give me a tranquilizer. You're psychotic. Wait, also, another, th- I know. another <laughs> thing that I was just thinking of. So, you said Anon, like, stands for unknown. Yeah. I don't know a damn thing, but is that what Alcoholics Anonymous is? Is Anonymous, yes. like... <gasps> I yes, just thought that's it was what... you weren't supposed to disclose who's in it. No, it's like everything is supposed to be, like in secret like if you do encounter someone who does go to aa meetings outside of the group setting you're supposed to like not interact with them like oh hey i know you from aa it's supposed to be very emphasis on anonymous here guys you know what i'm saying yeah but so so, it's really so sin anon here is it's anon is anonymous yes okay gotcha I was just a little confused because you said it stands for like the unknown, and I think of anonymous as being like, I guess oh, I might have I guess said, that is, yeah. No, I guess you're right, but I just thought of it in a different way. But I I see what you're I see what you mean. So Francis goes to the clinic, but instead of giving her a tranquilizer, the clinic's like, you should go to Synanon. They have an office nearby, and they'd be you know happy to help you. Mind you, Francis does not have a drug habit. But Francis went with their suggestion anyway, thinking she would just get, you know, she thought that she would just get like a simple counseling session and that might be enough to help her out because it was having all this success, helping people with all their problems. Mm. It's like, okay. But after arriving, they did not want to let her out. (gasps) Helen! Okay. I hate this shit. Listen. Listen, Linda. Listen. It stresses me out. No, same. I was, my whole face was red. I was sweating. I was like, they need to get Francis back. Oh my God, what's happening? Like, I'm itching just thinking about being trapped in a rehab center. <laughs> like, oh when you God. don't belong there. Like, she, I mean, I guess she needs help, but not that kind of help. <laughs> exactly. Well, that's one of the points they make. Well, okay, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. Narda actually hears about this emerging story in 1977 and calls up Synanon herself, and she's like, why aren't you letting this woman go? Why won't you let her talk to her husband? What's going on? But they right. shut her out, don't want to hear about it, don't talk about it, and they just hang up. So she's not allowed to talk to her husband. Is that, do you know, protocol for everyone that's there? Or is it just because she's being held against her will? She is 100% being held against her will. But um, but what I mean is, like, do is they do that Is it protocol? Is it normal? Yeah. I believe they do with people who are there being treated for their drug problems. And as we know, Francis does not have a drug problem. Okay. She just went there for a counseling session. What I'm thinking is they're going to be like, no, no, we just don't let anybody talk to their loved ones. Oh, no, no. You know what I mean? Well, they get really... Okay, wait. I'm getting ahead of myself. Just go on. Just go on. I'm ruining everything. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, but it's all questions that you would be having listening. You're like, what the, like, wait, you're going too fast. But we're we're going to get there. I promise. I promise. I just want to talk shit. Okay, hurry up. Let's get to the <laughs> juice. Yeah, this is the. <laughs> so Francis's <laughs> husband 
goes to the police, right? Because Synanon's not letting him talk to Francis and vice versa. They're not in a commu- they're not in communication at all. And the police say the classic, she's an adult. This is her choice. There's nothing we can do. Sack of shit. That's that man's husband. That's that man's wife. Like, let it. Can you not? I don't. Well, and either, even my thought is like, I get that like some very serious rehabs like don't allow for contact. But given the fact that she is not extremely addicted to any substance, like, you would think they would at least be like, okay, you can have contact, but it has to be monitored. Or, like, you can have contact, but then they disclose to the husband, like, these are things you can't bring up or something like that. Like, there should be, like, some contact, whether it's regulated or not. None is crazy. And it wasn't like she was admitted into the facility either. She just went there for a counseling session, you know? Right. Like, I'm not too versed on how. Was she, like, expected to come home later that day? (laughs) Yeah, fully. What the fuck? Fully. She was expecting to come home later that day, but they just kept her. And she's like, what the hell? I just came here for a session. What the fuck? I mean, I'd be like, is it (laughs) rent-free? I'm staying. (laughs) You guys got AC? Is the food free? <laughs> no, no. I any other Where's place, my bed? sure. But this one was <laughs> this. This I, I don't know Someone's if anyone's gonna lock stay me here. up after this episode, <laughs> right? And they're gonna be like, "But Helen, you said you said." They're gonna be like, "Helen, it sounded like a cry for help to us." <laughs> oh God. Ed hires a lawyer named Paul Morantz to help him contact Francis because he's out of options at this point. Now, Ed specifically hires Paul to help him out because Paul was really known in town for being a tough lawyer who sues mental health organizations. Because at this time, a lot of organizations were doing some shady shit. So Paul was like at the top of his game. Oh, hell yeah. I mean, that's like literally why we don't have asylums today. <laughs> you know what yes. I mean? Like, because they just took that shit one step too far. <laughs> yeah. And it's kind of it's happening now, guys. Um, I also believe that Paul had been representing other clients at this time who had bad run-ins with Synanon. So he was ready to go all out to get Francis back and, like, really apply that fucking pressure. Yes, go. Let's get Paul it. Paul had also learned that Synanon was not licensed to treat mental illness. So they didn't have a legal right to hold Francis at all. Like, the situation that we were just talking about, like, what's their legal... They did not have a right to do it at all. It was just a treatment center for people with drug problems. My question is, like, what is their game here? Like, what is the angle? Why do we even want to keep her here? I don't... I think they're desperate. I think they're like, guys, we need, like... But, like, she's being held there against her will. I don't think anyone's going to pay that bill, you guys. (laughs) (laughs) Send her home. We're not making money. Do you know what I mean? Like, yes. Where's what is the motive? I don't even understand. And that's the weird part about it all. Like, I was like, what? Like, you're supposed to be a rehabilitation center, and you're holding someone against their will. One plus one is not equaling two. It's very sketchy. So when Paul hops on the phone and is like, "Look, if you don't release Francis, there's going to be trouble." They know he's not fucking around because that's false imprisonment. And what do you know, soon after that, Paul and Ed were on their way to pick up Frances and bring her back home. But when they do, they get to take a look at some of the people staying at Synanon. And per Paul's retelling, everyone was smiling. They all had shaved heads and they were all wearing overalls. Oh my God, don't tell me they're Nazis. Oh, no, 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 no. Oh, thank God. 
Oh. I, I was like, this is going in a direction I did not want it to go in. <laughs> no, all that fear that you guys were feeling, it would have been replaced with like anger if this were, and, but it's not. Yeah, I was just about to be like, Sharon, you picked this case, why? I mean, it's good to know about these things, but what the fuck? <laughs> no, but. <laughs> I mean, it's good to know about these things, but what the fuck? I mean, seriously. I mean, still, though. Okay, so, like, I walk into a room with a bunch of people that have shaved heads. I'm thinking one of two things. I better be in a hospital or this is a cult. Exactly. And that's exactly what it was. Right? It's like, these are either people getting treatment or it's a cult. (laughs) And here's the thing. I know which room I'd rather be in. Right. <laughs> right. Just well, not like I, I wouldn't want to be having to get treatment, but I, like I'd be there like giving cookies out and shit, you know. Right, of course, <laughs> hey, but girls, not with my head shaved, smiling, wearing the same overalls as the next Joe Schmo in the next door. Like Yeah, I that's forgot not about my the vibe. Part. Let's circle back. The overalls I have a problem with. Where what state is this in? It's in Santa Monica, California. Why are we doing this farmer vibes thing? We will we will get into the why in a second, but it's okay. it's All right, yeah, go on. I have two qu- two yeah. Answer my questions, girl. Keep going. Paul says after seeing all this, he got major goosebumps and from that moment he knew something was seriously wrong. After taking into account this story and the clients I represented in the past, he's like I need to do something about this. I'm just like putting this in my head. Like p- just put yourself in Paul's shoes for one second. And, like, pretend you're the person walking into this room just filled with, like, people that have shaved heads and overalls on. Like, you'd be like, this is a fucking prank. Like, I would scream. I would truly be like, who's fucking with me? Who's fucking with me? (laughs) Be like, all these bald heads. Am I going to be Ashton? (laughs) Am I going to be Ashton? Ridiculous. Anyway, back to your story. So he walks into this room and he's like, I got to help everybody. Now what? Well, he teams up with Narda, the local LA Times journalist, and they both set out to take down Synanon. Yes. Like, this is enough. So is Narda related to this attorney, or did I make that up in my head? You 100% made that up in your head. I really apologize for that. It's okay. Okay, keep going. They're just two people (laughs) who have a common goal, and so they're like, let's, you've been writing these reports, I just represented a couple of clients, let's, let's be the dynamic duo we can be. I and when Paul was that. right, and when Paul was telling Narda about what was going on, he warned her by saying, "Quote Narda, this is a much bigger story. Like she had only scratched the surface, which is true. And it's like, can you imagine how many people they found just wandering and like we're like, oh yeah, come and we'll help you, never to be heard from again. Literally, that's insane. Oh, so it's a Paul, horrifying thought. Right." So Paul's first move was to help Francis and Ed sue the shit out of that place. They claimed that Francis was held against her will and she was mistreated after seeking aid from the foundation. Francis says as soon as she entered the Synanon building in Santa Monica, all the hair on her head was shaved off. Synanon members grabbed her and took her on a bus more than 400 miles to a Synanon facility in Northern California. She was told she could not see her husband and she was held captive for nine days. Okay, I have another question. Who is the person who got her 
to go to Synanon in the first place? Was it a Synanon employee or a government employee? Like who? It was the clinic that she went to. She originally went to get a tranquilizer and they suggested that she goes to the Synanon place where they're helping everyone. So are we on the path to believe that this clinic is involved in the fuckery? I don't know if they're directly involved in the fuckery. But I definitely think that Synanon had conned a lot of people into thinking that they were this great place. And so people should just be directed straight to them. Oh, okay. So it was kind of an innocent thing. Yeah. Well, because I'm just like, I don't know. The clinic knew that she didn't have an addiction. So, like, I'm confused as to what their gain here was to send her to Synanon. Right. I, I don't know, honestly. I just think they were under the guise of it was this amazing place, truth be told. I don't. Mm-hmm. I hate that I said okay. truth be told. I will cut that out. Truth be told. Now you can't because I'm making it a conversation piece. (laughs) Fuck. Okay. Segue. So for all those reasons, they wanted a settlement and they got one. The couple won $300,000 in their suit, which today's equivalent would be worth over a million dollars. Well, that's nice and all, but what happens to the rest of the people? And I'm sure Synanon had the money, so do they keep going? Well, yeah, because at this point there's no... They haven't done anything wrong. They won the money from the damages. I'm sure they can keep going. It's There's nothing they can do at this point in time. So they're thinking it's game over. They won. Like, you know, the organization's still going on. But with Narda's story being published, more people are starting to look at Synanon as not this great place as it's set out to be. Yeah, people are like, hey, Synanon, why are you shaving everybody's heads? We just don't yeah. really need that. I feel like... Unless exactly. it's because you're like donating the hair or some shit, because then no, I can get Helen, that, no, like... <laughs> this isn't like the thing you do in high school, like locks of love. I think that's something we had in my high school, if I remember correctly. Yeah, locks you donate, of yeah, it's love. Not, no, no, this is not locks of love. <laughs> this is cult shit. Um, <laughs> cut to three weeks after the win. Paul is on his way home, and he has plans to watch Game One of the World Series. It's now October in 1978, so about a year after Francis was taken. And he's he's excited. He decides to check the mail, but there's this weird object inside, and he can't really see what it is. Now this is a knife. Because, no, Helen. This is mostly because Paul has one of those Dropbox mail mailboxes. So there's like okay. a little slit in the front door. The mailman can just slide the mail into a box that's already inside the home. That way, whoever lives there doesn't have to go outside. Love it. I will be getting one when I get a house. Um, no, that's not for me. Absolutely really? not. You don't know what's in those mails. Mails. <laughs> in that mail. In that mail. I mean, that's well, so I true. Mean, it's not like I think like a bomb is in it or something, but like, I don't know. Because like anybody can slip that in. I guess that's how mailboxes work. I think we should reevaluate <laughs> mailboxes as well, a whole. <laughs> well, with this drop-in mailbox, it is like a tinier box, whereas a mailbox outside, you know, you can clearly open it and see in light of day what's inside. Mm. But this wasn't I the guess case it's a good Paul. thing because then people can't, like, steal your mail. Yeah, that's true. You can still steal your Amazon packages, though. Be careful, people. Right. Ugh, those sons of bitches. I had one being stolen. I hated it. Yeah, that's, I was so it's happened pissed. to me before. It's so fucked up. All right, anyway, so the mail yeah. came. Uh- <laughs> The mail I'm trying came. not to derail you too much, but I am who I am. <laughs> so, like I said, there's something inside the mailbox, but Paul can't really see it because, like I said, this is a pretty small box. So he's feeling around for it, and when he finally grabs it, he feels this immediate searing pain. 
Because it wasn't just like a little object I in the mailbox. I knew it. It was a knife. There was a, f- there was a fucking rattlesnake in the mailbox. <gasps> Worse. Worse than a knife. <laughs> yes. He had gotten bitten. <gasps> he Are was those yelling. poisonous? Yes. Deadly. Oh, no. He, he was yelling out, help me, help me. It's Synanon. Synanon got me. Sherry, I thought you picked an episode where no one died. I was like, oh, cult shit? That shit's easy. <laughs> <laughs> this is going to be some, you know. know. Yeah, no. She gets Oh, my gosh. Quick. This is horrible. Yeah. Paul is rushed okay. to the hospital, and because of the deadly snake venom, he's placed in intensive care. Narda soon hears about this, and she also rushes to the hospital to be um, to be by his side. She's got some fish to fry. She does. She's like, is this synonym, Paul? Tell me while you're in intensive care. We need to report on this. Yeah, she's like, Paul, quick, quick. In my ear. (laughs) Who was it? Literally. Literally. Oh, I love her. Now they start the investigation because this is an attempt to commit murder. At least that's what John Watson is thinking. John Watson is the senior trial deputy, and he went to work with two LAPD officers for major crimes. They told him everything that happened to Paul, and he's like, well, why a rattlesnake? Like, the the area where Paul lived, there's a lot of them, so it's possible maybe one of them just crawled inside. But after speaking to one of the world's leading experts on rattlesnakes, he learns that the rattlesnake that bit Paul would never be in the area where he lived. He could tell just by looking at the scales that it had different pattern and said that the snake had been hundreds of miles further than it could have gone on its own. So, like, there's no way it could have just crawled in there, meaning that it was placed there by someone. Of course. We never thought it wasn't. I love the fact that, like, their job had to force them to, like, be like, is it possible the rattlesnake just rattled in there? (laughs) Of course not. they phrased it too just rattled in there like <laughs> i know those bitches live in the desert i mean don't they of course I, yeah yeah it's a desert to john this is the perfect evidence of an attempt to commit murder like he has something to go off of the only question is who is responsible which i didn't really think was a question at all because when first responders got to paul's house they asked him well who do you think is responsible and all he said was synanon 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 Mm-hmm. So John starts putting all his focus into this case and starts investigating Synanon. As a criminal prosecutor, John knew Paul had filed a lawsuit against Synanon. But question is, was this enough motive for them to attempt a murder? Like, out of all this time, this seems like a really big, violent jump. So right. to figure out, he needed to take, like, a deep dive and learn everything there is to know about the relationship between Paul and Charles Dietrich the founder of Synanon. Now, Dietrich used to be a heavy drinker and spoke at a lot of AA meetings. And Wait, he kind so of Paul got... survives this, yes? Well... Or, or we don't know. Okay, do you want a spoiler? <laughs> you decide for our listeners. Do you want a spoiler? Uh, well, you know I'm always going to pick the spoiler. <laughs> yeah, he ends up living. <gasps> Yay! Okay, good. Oh, I just couldn't take it if he died. I'm sorry. I needed. No, it's... I needed a light at the end of the tunnel, you know. Guys, and there is a light. Hang in there. We do hear from Paul, and it is, it, it's amazing, what he does and everything that he did to take down this piece of shit cult. Now, <sighs> okay. All right, keep going. Yeah. <laughs> going back to the history and background of Charles Dietrich, the head of Synanon and the founder. 
He used to be a heavy drinker and he spoke at a lot of AA meetings. People would listen to his every word, then immediately after, he gets an applause. Praise, people showing mass interest in what he had to say, and this really hooks him. And I can imagine that feeling is very addicting for some, like musicians, comedians, artists, and, you know, Dietrich was this someone. Anybody who has a big ego. <laughs> like Yeah, literally, literally. He really liked to hear himself talk, but to him, AA wasn't doing enough to, like, help people of their addictions, so he decides to start his own rehab that would take in the same people who attended AA as well as drug users. Soon after, Synanon was born. As I said before, Synanon started as a re- yeah? So I know you saw me thinking. Um, mm. I was just thinking, Is so was- what's his first name? Dietrich, Charles. What's his first name? Charles. Charles. Was he- um, an addict? Is that why he was yes. at AA? Okay. Yes, he had problems with alcohol. Okay. Because I was thinking, like, at first I was like, that's kind of weird that he was just going to start his own organization when he has no business. Yeah, no, apparently he was heavily involved in AA meetings and spoke a lot at them, and this, like, fueled his inner ego to be like, well, y'all aren't doing enough, I'm going to start my own. And I'm going to take in drug users at that. So it's really weird. It's interesting because I'm like, I don't... For I don't know a lot of people personally who have been through AA, and I also know AA through 2020s standards, but it is very helpful. So I'm wondering, like, what the, like, or people say it's helpful. Sorry. I'm, like, yawning a little bit while I'm talking. It's fucked up. Um, (laughs) But, like, I just think that, like, it's interesting, and I want to know what he thinks wasn't working for AA. I think it's literally just... I don't think he thought something wasn't working. I think he literally just was like, but I wish I was in charge here. Yes, I think he thought that, like, why does everyone else get to speak and I'm not speaking? Like, meh. You know? Yeah, he like, just wanted bad. to be the center of everything, and he was like, I don't own AA, so I have to start my own. Right, and he take, he he really takes it a step, like so far you guys are gonna Mm -hmm. hear about the wild shit he starts doing and it's just hilarious so you're you're on the right track okay go off um okay like i said before dietrich opened the facility in 1958 but by 1965 it was making some like real headway the news of synanon's success was going around mostly by word of mouth that it was this amazing facility right by the beach and like it was just really life-changing and it was working for some people So that's also adds to the success of it, that it was, you know, actually working. This success led to their expansion, and Synanon facilities started popping up all over California in these, like, very isolated locations. Just three years later, the organization had over a 1,000 members, and Synanon was receiving yearly donations of $2.5 million. And this is in 1965, so can you imagine that amount today? Right. Probably double, if not triple. (laughs) Right. It started to attract even non-addicts, so people with no addictions started coming to Synanon as well. That's weird. It is weird! It's bullshit! Like, but what is the reason? Because if this was, if this were an honorable organization, they'd be like, I'm sorry, but you have no business here. Until you have a problem, go home. (laughs) Like, no. No. Well, Synanon at this time slowly started morphing into this self-help organization 
then a rehabilitation center. So they just started taking in anyone and it became this little community. There was even a sign outside that said, quote, a new direction in helping man to help himself. Hmm. I, that's why I won't touch a self-help book. Weirdo you behavior. You trying to get right? better. It's weirdo right? behavior. That's I'll keep culture. getting worse. I'm sorry, but I'm not looking to improve. <laughs> me, me passing by all the self-help books at Barnes & Noble, I'll keep getting worse. <laughs> You will not catch me reading one of those motherfuckers. I'm sorry. Right. <laughs> right. I'm not Nature? trying to be brainwashed. <laughs> and I mean, better safe than sorry. I like my thoughts the way they are. Toxic. Right. <laughs> I love that. When we, I want merch. I want merch. <laughs> I like my thoughts the way they are. Toxic. <laughs> Dietrich became everything to these people, like a leader, their cult leader. That's what I'm trying to get at, guys, in case you weren't like... No, we get it, yeah, little... thank you. Okay, yeah. good, good, good. Mm-hmm. We, good. Yeah. And in case you guys are just waking up, this is a rehab facility in LA, in the, like, 70s. So shit was wild. There was a, a real rise in the spiritual movement, especially in Santa Monica, mm. where Synanon is based. And, like, L.A., along with, like, New York City, they are, like, the hub for, like, when shit is trending, they hop right on it. So, like, you know what I mean? Like, you won't catch that shit of in a course. suburb. But, like, no. in L.A., it's like, oh, like, Synanon's this huge thing. It's, like, fucking, like, hot yoga went through that. Um, oh, my God. Getting, now, it's pa- what, now it's Pilates after Lori Harvey. I was going to say, like, uh, the puncturing of your skin, the cupping shit. I'm like, oh, no, yeah, no, no, yeah, you yeah, guys. Yeah. I, you will not catch me getting my skin cupped. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, like, acupuncture and all that shit. That's that's really what was happening at this time. Like, Erwan, you will not catch me there. Oh, my God. For what? <laughs> For what? I'm scared of cults after the, like, health food store cult. Remember that? Maybe we'll no. do an episode on that. <gasps> okay. This movement was mostly due to people looking inward and really trying to find, like, a calm after all the craziness that happened in the 60s. So everyone's just really trying to mellow out. And George Farnsworth, who was a former member of Synanon, speaks to this. And he says that Synanon in particular gained a lot of popularity because they, were like, had a purpose. They really wanted to detox people and train them to be useful members of the community. While other cult-like communities were just, like, meeting up to smoke weed, and then they would fall apart right after. Mm. George also says Dietrich really convinced many people that Synanon was doing something great. He really earned the trust of these people, and Synanon became this self-proclaimed, quote, model for the world. And everyone was, should take after the example that they're setting. Apparently, Dietrich was also deaf in one ear, admittedly an egomaniac, but was still looked at as one of the wisest people that had, like, ever started their own cult. And I'm like, all right, calm down. Wait this a feels is very... This, is this source that you're pulling from trying to say that no one can trust him because he's deaf in one ear? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know, but it was just, like, a weird fact. And I was like, like, okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was like... I'm I like, all right, my mom's <laughs> deaf in one ear. I'm going to tell her she can't be trusted. 
that's I don't know if that's next, what they're doing, but if they were, that's I love my it. next thing to say when I'm in an argument with her. I can't trust you because yeah. you're deaf in one ear. You're mom. deaf in one ear. <laughs> She's gonna smack me. Good. <laughs> rightfully, Good. rightfully, I deserve it. What a weirdo source. Yeah, I don't. Anyway, anyway. It was the, it was that oxygen true crime episode that I watched. It wasn't even no, like a oxygen, website. I love you, but you cannot be trusted. Let's tone it down a little bit. All right. Not everyone who's like, deaf in one ear can be trusted. down. Sometimes people are deaf in one ear, one ear, and it just helps them mind their business. Right. I mean, not in this case, but like in every other case, yes. Let's choose to believe the good. Synanon required its followers to participate in unorthodox methods of therapy, specifically one called, quote, the game. The game was a really big part of the rehabilitation process. And Sherry, essentially, it was a everybody form just of... lost the game. Do you not know what What are you that referencing? Is? No. I've been playing this thing since I was a kid with like a few of my childhood friends. That's like, okay. it's called the game. And once somebody tells you about it, you're in. So you're now playing it, even though it's like from the early 2000s or maybe even earlier. But it's basically. It's I'm just so the nervous. game, and any time you think of the game, you lose it, and every time you lose it, you have to tell everybody that you know is playing the game that you lost the game, and then that reminds them of the game, and then they lose it too. And I was going for years, Sherry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to blow up my mic. Oh my god, I need to chill. But Helen, that is the wackiest shit I've ever heard. Uh, no. People are going to sound off in the comments section as if there's a comment (gasps) section. No, but people are going to... I swear to God, we're going to get DMs being like, Helen, fuck you. Now I lost the game too. I swear. Guys, I'm so sorry. But you know what? This is different though, I assume. (laughs) Girl. Okay, so... (laughs) Basically, the subject of the game, aka just like one member, would sit in the middle of the group and have the other members circle around them. And the other members would just yell, insult, and scream at the person sitting in the middle. They were really centered around that particular person's trans- transgression. So, like anything bad they did, they would harp on that. And they would yell things like, You smell bad. You're fat. You don't work hard. And I was like, Oh my, oh my God, chill. God. It's so crazy. Wait, can I pause you for one one second? Yeah. Because I did have to go into my contacts and text my people that I know are planning, playing the game. Oh, And my this God. is a really funny thing, because this is one of my, like, childhood friends, but we're not that, like, in touch now. The yeah. only times we text are to say, the game. <laughs> You're not it? lying. <laughs> Do you see that? That is so creepy and scary no now i really want to know if other people are doing this because i've never heard of this at all (laughs) guys sound off really in our imaginary comment section sound off please (laughs) dm us on instagram if you just lost the game (laughs) please i didn't know the wrath i'd be incurring on this episode i know sherry people are gonna be mad at you (laughs) are you going According to former member George, the game was very painful, but it was a part of the environment. So everyone just felt this really weird obligation or sense of obligation to participate. So they did. And what's even weirder is that it worked for some people. And as you can imagine, Dietrich was eating it up. He liked the Mm. aggressive nature of it. So the game was played three times a week. 
the main goal being to break down the person who was at the center of the game and try to strip away their personality, who they were, and that was really considered therapeutic to them. Ew, it, it was like solitary at, confinement, except for a yes, name. <laughs> right, and it was look. What's weird is that it was looked at as this like hip and cool method, even like though non addicts were participating in it as well. So it was really, really weird. Come to the early seventies, Dietrich decides to morph Synanon into this lifestyle community. I think he was really trying to separate Synanon from being moved into other basic or well-known facilities. It was very like I'm not like most girls kind of vibe, you know. <laughs> yeah. In the, in the doc, it said that Dietrich wanted to retreat from commercialism. It gave people a way to drop out of society while finding spirituality, which we all know was very common in LA in the 70s. Dietrich said, quote, we are an experimental society. And from there, Sinanon started to follow every whim that Dietrich had. He decided to shave his head one day, and so everyone else shaved their head too. <sighs> He wore overalls one day. Everyone else started wearing it too. His wife died and he remarried. And pretty soon everyone was getting divorced and getting remarried in a large group wedding. Oh my God. He inspired Regina George. I literally, I literally had a joke in there, but I took it out because I thought it was too far. And I was like, he cut out holes in his, in his t-shirt where his bra was and everyone else did it too. But literally that's what it was. It was like, yeah. oh my god! I wish I could remember that quote of that girl being like, "Did it wear sandals with no bra?" So I wear sandals with no bra. Yeah. Literally. Do you remember that one? Yeah, it was no hilarious. What you're talking about? They said, "quote It was a 20 year long game of follow the leader," and I'm like, "That sounds so lame." Um, <laughs> who the hell wants to do that? I'm sorry, but that game was fucking boring as a kid. You think I want it now? No, <laughs> not at all. Like that also, was just think- a way for like. Your teachers to get everybody to follow the kid that was good at, like, respecting. <laughs> yeah, and it's so much and, like, never me. Don't get me wrong. I was a teacher, and I, <laughs> I would do that same shit. But it was boring. So one day, Dietrich begins to think about, and this is just sort of the backstory of Synanon and Dietrich's little rules that he starts implementing, which really makes people uneasy in the end. So one day, he's like, we should have a separate school for the kids, and kids shouldn't live with their parents. So Synanon started. I, I had the same reaction. So Synanon started a school. This whole episode Sinanon- just has me saying "what the fuck" every other sentence. I know. Synanon started a school, and the children would live in a separate village called the Hatchery. We hear from another member, or another former member, her name is Selena Whitman, and she said that at All these people were white, right? No, actually, she was not white. (gasps) That's the thing. In my head, I was like, this is such, I'm like researching, I'm typing, I'm like, this is This is white shit. But it wasn't. I could not imagine my Brazilian mother being like, yeah, you should just go get raised by that school, the hatchery. She'd be like, the fuck you are. I'm sorry, but there's no chancla at (laughs) the hatchery. (laughs) I would say it, it was a majority white, which I was not surprised at all. Because I was like, this is some shit y'all would fall for. Yeah. Not my mom. Not my mom. As if I'm not white with freckles, but my mother is not, you guys. <laughs> I don't operate by white people's standards when it comes to raising a kid. <laughs> I love you. So, 
Selena says that at four years old, her mother comes up to her and says, you're going to come with me and we're going to go to this place called Synanon. And in my head, I picture that meme of Spongebob with the rainbow. Like Synanon. Mm-hmm. And yeah. to her, it was described as a Disneyland. But when they got to the dormitories, there was a group of children who all had shaved heads and were mm-hmm. all dressed in overalls. No one the said minions. a thing. The, yeah, they're the gentle mi- minions. <laughs> Hug me. Bring it in. (laughs) I hate it. No. Well, no, I can't get that visual out of my head. (laughs) Sorry. No, it's okay. No one says a thing to Selena when she walks in. But the first thing that happens is that um, she gets approached by a couple of kids and they just start petting her hair. They're like, we then, don't have this. <laughs> that's what I'm. Like? I'm like, y'all are weird. honestly those poor fucking kids. Like they're like, oh my god, I miss having hair. Can I just feel yours? Oh, oh, I didn't even look at it that way. I was like, these weirdos, Selena, you better get out of there. I mean, Selena, run. <laughs> but that's true. But <laughs> that's true. It gets kids, even though, creepier. It's like sad. Yeah. No. It it is sad. It gets even creepier when she is approached by a young woman and she's like, come follow me. So they go down the hallway to the bathroom and the girl says to her, you know, you're very lucky that you get to be here. Selena didn't say a thing in response because, you know, she's four years old. She's like, who the fuck are you? And the woman proceeds to sit her down, grabs a pair of clippers and shaves off her head. In the interview, Selena's reflecting on how traumatizing that was to do to a four-year-old. She said that she wasn't even a... She looked like alien to herself. Well, like at also, four years like, old. I used to be a preschool teacher and I used to work with four-year-olds. And that is like when... That is like the stage of your life when you first start to value your appearance. And you get... You're like proud to do your hair a certain way. Or to... You know what I mean? Like that's when you're first yeah. having... Like, you're first being passionate about you can control the way you look. So I'm sure that felt, like, very scary to her that she was like, I just learned how to put my hair in pigtails and you're going to take that away from me? You know? Right. Right. And she said that she wasn't even allowed to look at herself, like, in mirrors. And on top of that, her mom wasn't allowed to talk to her or look at her either. Oh, my God. That's so heartbreaking. So, Synanon is clearly not the little rehab center it used to be. By 1974, Synanon was unrecognizable. People are now living there full-time, working, and all the money is going directly to Synanon. Shocker, right? By this time, Synanon had over 1,700 members and $22 million in assets. It's thought that one of um, Synanon's lawyers suggested that they be incorporated as a church, and it's like, just say you don't want to pay taxes, cheap ass. Just say that. Just say that. Not even that. It's like, oh my God, actually do it. Actually do it because I want all of you guys to rot in fucking hell. And I know God has a bone to pick with you trying to say you're a church. Right. <laughs> and, you know, your wishes, they do. They do get incorporated as a church and they're called the Church of Synanon. Dietrich himself was <sighs> very open about what his What are they wealth. claiming that they worship? I don't, I don't. What? What is it? Baldness. Baldness. They have a picture. Farming. They have a picture of The Rock and like Vin Diesel. <laughs> Just all the cute balls. Like, if you're bald, you're in. <laughs> you know what? That maybe that wouldn't make people so insecure. That's 
I can stand behind that if that's what they're oh, doing. Oh, I love a but good bald not. head. I love a good bald head. Right. But when I'm walking into a room full of bald heads, no. No, Mm-mm. it's a little uncomfortable. It's not for me. Right. It's not for me. Because that means cult, like exactly. I said. We know what it means. You said it's it like means anything. minion, but yeah, cult too. <laughs> it could be anything. <laughs> <laughs> so... Meanwhile, the investigation is still happening, and John Watson, the senior trial deputy, is still learning about all this crazy history. Unfortunately, he still doesn't have any evidence to link Dietrich to the attempted murder of Paul. During the investigation, John talked to many people who were connected to Synanon, like mainly people who left Synanon, um, and there were rumors about very unusual things happening there, specifically the weird commands Dietrich was giving out. They said that a lot of... it's. This part is just so ridiculous. Trick one day was feeling that kids were costing a lot. So he decided members could not have kids anymore. But the problem was that some of the women were already pregnant. Still, they were told that they needed to end the pregnancies. And the women that wanted to stay were forced to get these abortions. Dietrich said, quote, having an abortion is no different than popping a pimple. Soon after, it became... Yeah. Not to open up this can of worms. (laughs) Girl, girl, when it came up in the dock, I was like, oh, my God. Yeah. Listen, I am for human rights. I think a woman should never be told what to do with her body. That includes forcing somebody to have an abortion. That includes forcing somebody to have a baby. Either way, not cool with me. (laughs) Yeah, like, just it's as simple as that, really. And I agree. I agree. Like, your body, your choice. Don't let anyone tell you what to do, especially these white men who are making these laws and, like, trying to impose it upon everyone in, like, the like who the fuck do you think you are? Like, and not to mention the fact that they're a whole company founded on, like, let's help you get better, but let's force you to have a traumatic experience of terminating a pregnancy that you didn't want to terminate. Right. Yuck. Absolutely <laughs> I want merch. It's a no from me. I want merch. Yuck. Absolutely not. Soon after, it became mandatory that any man 18 years or older had to go and get a vasectomy. Many men did not, which led to some of the men also leaving Synanon because after finding about finding out about this rule, the women were like, we, this isn't cool anymore. And they left as well. Mm. But in response to some of the members leaving in classic cult leader like fashion, Dietrich says, you know, they weren't committed in the first place. They didn't want to be a part of Synanon. It's it's like that guy who says he's not interested in you. No, it's like that guy who says he's interested in you. And then you're like, thanks, but like, I'm fine. And then he's like, I didn't want you either, stupid bitch. And it's like, sir, we're in a Wendy's. Calm down. Relax. <laughs> That's like, there was this kid I went to school with. And he would like message me and all of my friends being like, I think you're hot. Like, let's hook up or whatever. And then we we would all be on to him because we're like, first of all, he's messaging all of us. And if he doesn't think we fucking tell each other about this shit. So we'd all be like, oh, thank you. Not interested. Whatever. And he'd be like, oh, my cat was on the keyboard. <laughs> this is in like sixth grade. And I was like, okay, sir. <laughs> oh, <my God. laughs> I love the I love the fragility. Just I know. Own up like, to it. Oh my god! Just say like, all right, 
Cool, you change your mind, I'm here. Like, right. whatever. Like, like, I don't know. It doesn't have to be a whole scene. <laughs> it's fine. You shot your shot, you missed. It's not a big deal. Calm right. down. Not every, not every player makes it, and that's fine. Just don't yeah, say your cat you ran across the things. keyboard. <laughs> yeah, so anyway, Dietrich is like, sorry, my cat ran across the keyboard. Very that. What's next? <laughs> well, everyone starts leaving because they're like, this is not the, quote, experimental community that it was painted out to be. Some people left without their kids and their spouse because one wanted to stay and the other didn't. And so it was like, it it was a lot of craziness going on at this time. And it's around this point in Sinanon's sort of story that Paul sues them for trying to hold Francis against their will. So as you can imagine, after having members leaving, the lawyer and Narda, the journalist, onto him, it's Dietrich was not happy at all. Mm. But, you know, this is all just stories, and it's nothing concrete to convict Dietrich of an attempted murder. John does get a break when a neighbor reports seeing a white van outside of Paul's home. One of them had even written down the license plate number and know that neighbor was not Helen, but it is very her energy. Um, And thank God. (laughs) Hell yeah. (laughs) Sherry. I have a note. I will actually no, I can't because it's actually real license plates. But okay. I was I'll show you another time. Okay. But I have a note in my phone that is just a bunch of fucking license plates that I'm like, that person is skeeving me out. <laughs> and I write down their license plates because I'm like, God forbid anybody ever needs to know who that was. <laughs> I have it. So don't you fucking wrong me or else your license plate number is in my notes app. <laughs> Guys, just know that this is <laughs> literally I did one this morning because this like painter in our building was like just standing no literally standing outside in the parking lot just smiling and I called Matt and I'm like, Hey, I can't hear I didn't write down his license plate because he was just standing by himself, but I wrote down exactly what he looked like. <laughs> I didn't think my He's joke. standing there smiling. I'm like, who does that? Guys, I didn't think my joke would be that accurate, but there you go. Like, <laughs> it landed. Right. <laughs> now, thank God they did write it down, and thank God they channeled Helen's energy <laughs> before Helen was even born. Um, but the police ran the plate numbers, and it came back registered to the Synanon Foundation. So, here's something, you know. After the Mm -hmm. attack, the same van was seen driving near Pacific Palisades, and a police officer noticed the license plate. So he pulled them over, and inside was Joe Musico and Lance Kenton, both members of Synanon. Musico and Henton were held on suspicion of involvement in the attack, and the men were considered at the lowest rank of Synanon, so they're thinking that this could not come from them two plotting this. John is thinking that Dietrich definitely ordered them to do it. But they never really got the chance to speak with them because they lawyered up. So John heads back to the drawing board and starts collecting more evidence. I also don't know mm. if I said drawing board or John board, but I'll find that out in editing. <laughs> he heads back to the drawing board. Drawing board. <laughs> John goes back to interviewing some people that left Synanon, and they say that Dietrich actually kept a sound system where they could all hear him talking. It was used so that he could project whatever he was thinking and it was basically like a broadcast in every single room of Synanon. They had this wire that connected it all throughout Synanon, and it was very big for Synanon life. 
Every facility, every public area was wired into the same system of leased phone lines. And the only thing connecting all these things together was this sort of wire. Now, they had a practice of writing down every word that Dietrich said, and it was like used as like a, like a holy writ. They kept track of every tape and Dietrich rants about, you know, enemies from outside and how he'll take care of them and how they'll fight back from their enemies that are coming from the outside. And it's just, you could tell Dietrich was getting more and more paranoid every single day. Mm-hmm. He said Sinanon needs to protect itself by any means possible. So there's a clear escalation in Dietrich and what he is um, telling his followers, right? A former member specifically recalls hearing Dietrich question the group about a certain lawyer, and he was saying all these bad things about this certain lawyer, which, you know, is it's, it's Paul, guys. It's Paul. Um, and just saying how Paul's he... Paul's the lawyer. Yeah, Paul is the lawyer. He's definitely talking about Paul. <laughs> um, and done. he's just like, we need to cut off his arms, and we need to get rid of him, and just saying all this rambling, like, hateful speech about Paul, right? And it, they play a little bit. Like, okay, I get it. Get rid of him if that's your goal. Do we have to cut off his arms? It's a little dramatic to me, you guys. He says, cutting off his arms for what? He says, "Quote: I feel like I'd like to rip off his own arm off and beat him to death with it." Oh my god! Yeah, yeah. these are the people that need the mental health help. <laughs> no, truly. So the episode starts playing recordings of Dietrich's ramblings, and my whole body just churns. He says, quote, Until further notice, no member of the California Department of Corrections is permitted on Synanon property unless he has the permission of Charles Dietrich, chairman of Synanon. And as my brother would say, third person, that is so cringe. (laughs) (laughs) Who do you think you you, are? (laughs) So ridiculous. (laughs) And like, what's crazy is that in the recordings, you could tell how unstable he was like, he wasn't taking any pauses or any breaks. It was all in one breath, kind of like me when I'm really nervous. Um, and you just know it's just hours and hours of this baboon talking. Now, John hears about this particular tape where he was talking about Paul, and he hauls ass. John thought there was probable cause to believe that that tape recording might exist in the Tolaire County facility. So he heads right over to get a search warrant and, like, goes into the building. What is a little, what made John a little bit hesitant is that there were rumors of the Synanon members being really heavily armed, like with um, guns and all types of weapons. So it became a very dangerous situation. So John came prepared and ran through the facility like it was a military operation. The search had a lot of police officers, LAPD squat. I said squat in my notes. And I also said squat again. And I mean swat. I mean swat. The SWAT team. The SWAT team. Yeah, the SWAT team. Me and my girls at the gym. (laughs) Just going in there like, hey guys, we're here for a search warrant. (laughs) Two, three. (laughs) Like, no. Not at all. Now, thankfully, everything went very peacefully and no one interfered with their search and they found the tape that they needed. Also at this time, Kenton and Musico, the two idiots that were riding around in the van, decide to share their side of the story after they have Dietrich under arrest, right? Mm -hmm. Because they had enough with the tape and they were able to go get him, bring him back, done deal. And they say that they just decided, they concocted this plan all on their own after hearing Dietrich talk all day in the mic about Paul. And so Tweedledee and Tweedlejackass went out looking for a rattlesnake and thought, this is perfect. We're going to help out Dietrich. We're going to be the ones, you know? 
And it, it was just ridiculous. I just don't believe that those two morons would have thought of this all on their own. Neither do I. Neither do I, honestly. Well, I think what the plan was idiotic in itself. So I feel like they were really prompted by Dietrich's ramblings, you know? Well, no, and that, totally. Like, but that, but that's the whole point of a cult is it's like, it's still Dietrich's doing. Exactly. Even if the other people carried it out, it's like all because of what Dietrich put in their head. Right. Agreed. You know? Yeah. Basically is still Dietrich doing it. Yeah. And around this time that Dietrich is being apprehended, Paul is, I don't know if he was in a coma, but he does start, um, like, feeling better enough to talk. And we find out that he is alive at this point in the episode. So it's all happiness and sunshine. Get it, Paul. This incident made so many headlines of, like, this attempted rattlesnake murder that it really started to solidify for people that this organization was headed in a really bad place. Like, I think people were mostly Mm -hmm. half and half, very split, but this just really tipped the scales. Right. They were just like, let's not mess with it. Yeah. And, of course, Dietrich's lawyers and Dietrich himself were adamantly denying it, but people believed Paul. They knew of him, knew of his reputation for taking down these organizations, and they're like, well, Paul would not lie. They just believed him, you know? Right. Unfortunately, around the time that they wanted to convict Dietrich, Dietrich was sick. They even had um, a professional come in (laughs) and speak to Well, when they actually went to arrest him, he was, like, drunk out of his mind, babbling. And they originally (sighs) thought that he was just, like, you know, had been drinking because they found a bottle next to him. But he apparently was very sick, and they said that he wouldn't make it until, like, for the next couple of years. So, like, there's no point anyways. All very weird. Excuse me? I know! (laughs) Okay, but, like, for the next couple of years, put him through hell. I don't... Right. So John was a little back and forth on whether he wanted to go through with it or not because Dietrich was so sick. So it would kind of like hurt the trial a little bit. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, because people would like feel bad for him. Exactly. So John did the right thing, in my opinion, and went to Paul to talk about the case and get his opinion on it and said, Paul, look, if you want to go through with this, we'll go through with it. If not, I'm pulling out. Paul said he could not willfully make a decision that would result in a man's death. And so he allowed the deal to go through. So and because I think they were also Paul looking such a good guy. Yeah. Who's doing that? Sorry, I don't know why I just pinged myself. <laughs> That's weird. Continue. So in 1979, Dietrich was charged with conspiracy to commit murder and he pled no contest and was sentenced to five years probation with a $5,000 fine. As a part of the plea deal, Dietrich was banned from associating with Synanon ever again. Wait, can I just can I just interject for a second? Yeah. And I don't want to sound like a know-it-all, because I know you know it, but for maybe our listeners who don't know it, no contest is when you, like, don't admit guilt, but you don't say that you didn't do it either. It's like a... It's not allowed in every single state, but... The states that do allow it. It's basically you're just saying, like, give me what you were going to give me, but I'm not saying that I'm guilty or innocent. Right. As for Musico and Kenton, the two idiots in the van, um, Paul asked the judge for leniency for them because he really believed that, like, this cult had influenced them to make a not-so-smart choice. Exactly. Yeah. 
So they also pled no contest to attempted murder and were sentenced to one year in L.A. County Jail and three years probation. So that's like the most um, common time that someone will use a no contest plea is like when they're like under the influence. So like it was accidental or something, but it's still like you did actually do it, but you and your weren't in your right mind or something. That's a really common time to use no contest. So it makes sense that they did because even if they weren't like under the influence of drugs, they were under the influence of a cult. John says that his principal goal wasn't to make these people go away forever. It was to get the truth out so that people would stop joining and hopefully awaken some of the members that were already in Synanon. And it was like he was right that it happened. The, their reputation with the public was not as positive as it used to be. It was completely negative. Um, and the thought of this cult being capable of serious criminal activity really shook everyone up. Mm -hmm. On May 19th, 1982, the Internal Revenue Service, the IRS, revoked the Synanon tax-exempt status. The judge called... Okay. Yeah. The judge cited Synanon's, quote, willful, systematic, and extensive destruction and alteration of documents and tapes relevant to the termination of its tax-exempt status. Synanon would... Synanon was ultimately forced to pay $17 million in back taxes, and this bankrupted them. Synanon officially Damn. disbanded in 1991, and Charles E. Dietrich died in 19 1997 of cardiorespiratory failure. Synanon is actually referenced quite a bit in pop culture. It was referenced once in a Bob Dylan song called Lenny Bruce, which I thought was weird. And it's Oh my methods- god, Matt's gonna love this shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he loves Bob Dylan. <laughs> It's from his album Shot of Love, and he says, quote, never made it to Synanon. <gasps> hmm. I don't know. Weird. Synanon became really popular in, like, books and articles, and it had a film in 1965 called Synanon, and it starred Eartha Kitt. <laughs> oh. I know. Interesting. <laughs> right? <laughs> so they interview another journalist throughout this episode, and he says something interesting towards the end of the dog that I don't I want to get your thoughts on okay essentially the journalist said that when you group people who have this cult-like mentality together bad things can happen which I didn't particularly agree with I think you can get a completely normal person and put under the conditions that maybe they were put under in Synanon someone could fall Mm -hmm. subject to that type of behavior and be brainwashed which I thought was an important conversation to have I think that the crimes here were crimes of opportunity because all of the people that got involved with Synanon were people that were looking for help. So they were vulnerable. And that is how Synanon was able to prey on these people. Right. Not because they already had cult-like mentalities, but they had mentalities that they were looking for help and they wanted to be helped. And so when they were told this place was going to help them... They believed it because they wanted to be fixed. And the thing is, like, I think that anybody who is looking for something can find it in a cult if the cult is under the guise of what they're looking for. Agreed. I just didn't think what he said was true at all. Like, you put it perfectly. No, like- I think it's it's so easy for anybody to fall for it. You just have to be kind of right place, right time. You have to be looking for something to help you, and then the cult comes at the right time, you know? Right. Thanks for listening. You can catch us on Instagram at the Chalk Line Pod. Twitter at the Chalk Line Pod. 
and follow along with our YouTube channel. The link is in our Instagram bio. And guys, please DM us if you lost the game this episode. (laughs) Tune in next Thursday for another story.